welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. This was actually recorded in 2001. Gina Bloom is an amazing comedian and a trans woman. She talks about her family, mental health, her transition, and Caitlyn Jenner. Just to give you the heads up, this does contain explicit language. And as always, I promise you, we will get to the point, it just might be a little bit discombobulated along the way. So I don't even know where to start. Like, where do you, when, what would I know? I'm going to go with what my, what Rogan would like. So um, what was your first experience of mental health? First experience Ill of mental, mental health. health. I should probably say. I'll, I'll say that again. Of like ill mental, mental illness rather. Ill mental, mental illness. Yeah. Um, let me think here. I'm trying to like do the order of it. I would say that the first time I, I could identifiably know that it was mental health issues uh, was when my father first attempted to commit suicide. Um, and he had done this, I was very young, I was maybe nine or 10 years old. And he was having trouble with his business and you know he was in some legal trouble and he had been in legal trouble before. And um, he had a like a used car lot, and he just went to his used car lot and he attempted to hang himself. Well, he didn't attempt. He didn't attempt to hang himself. He hung himself. And he was there hanging when my older sister came in and saw him. And you know, I didn't see any of that, but I did see the aftermath and like there was a lot of tension. And my sister was justifiably freaked out. She was not very old herself, like 16, 17 years old. And, uh, you know, everything was kind of thrown into our faces all at once. And then, you know, we had to confront that. And then the reason why he had tried, you know, to kill himself in addition to the legal and financial troubles he was in and, you know, just the sort of like undiagnosed mental issues. And, you know, they weren't real great at putting a name to things back then. So we didn't really get a diagnosis at the time, but, you know, at, you know just thinking about it now, it would be, I don't know, maybe like bipolar disorder. I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to diagnose someone without, you know, being yeah. a clinician or anything like that. But it, it felt like that is, is what it seemed like. And um, yeah, that was probably my earliest memory of any kind of like poor mental health issue. And it was a pretty, it was like, pretty just kinda, yeah, yeah, pretty hardcore. It just jumps right out at you. Yeah, it's, it goes from like, oh, then... Just yeah. straight in the deep end. Mm -hmm. I was intrigued. Intrigued is the wrong word. There's going to be okay. a lot of this today. So I saw it. Yeah, good. No worries. Um, you talked about, so I listened to the Positive Negative podcast recently. Mm -hmm. And you talked about um, how yeah. your mom. Wow. You really did your research. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know my my husband um came in and he was just like Laura like okay a you freaked out when you can't like she contacted you back but b you literally have a list of like dates of her diagnoses and then about her parents and I was like in my defense it's on a podcast <laughs> he well, just it, it, I mean it's good research that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah 
Hey, I don't often get this opportunity to meet someone that I admire because you, you're kicking stigma's ass for more than one thing, which... Well, thank you. In, in a cliche way, you're kind of a unicorn with that, with the simple fact that you are kind of... You're, you're trans and out there and you're a comedian, which means that you get shit from all directions, whether yeah. you know... Yeah, a little bit, and a little bit of shit. Mental health, like mm-hmm. you take a ma- you take a stand and you talk about it, and makes you kind of kick ass. So, well, thank you. Pleasure. I'm glad you noticed. Tell mm-hmm. everybody. More people need to. No, but you talked about and um, how many siblings do you have? I have uh, two brothers, two sisters. So there's five of us total. And there's a big age gap between you and your. Yeah. So I'm in the middle and I'm like far in the middle. So like my older sister and brother are both quite a bit older than me, six and seven years. And then my younger siblings um, are even more, even further apart than they are, than I am from my older siblings. So my, my younger brother is 11 years younger and my younger sister is 14 years younger than I am. So the difference between the two oldest and youngest people, the, the older sister and the and the younger sister is like 20 years. Wow. That's so, yeah, <laughs> mom was busy. She was having, she was As someone with an 11 year old and an eight year old, I'm like, dude. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't know how she did it. She's just Catholic. They're just, that's what they do. They, just, they make kids. So is it your eldest brother that um, has, you guys think has got some um so for everybody um not to to share your story for you mm-hmm. your mum had sure. paranoid schizophrenia but was only diagnosed like <clears throat> a year before she passed a year before she passed she was, di- she was diagnosed with cancer terminal cancer and schizophrenia at the same time wow that's a lasted yeah was a f- <laughs> we've had an interesting time of it my family um so she um went to treatment for both and, you know, in the last year of her life, I don't know what she necessarily got out of it because she was so medicated on the, uh, you know, on the cancer treatments, but she was also medicated for the schizophrenia and uh, that seemed to really work. Um, the cancer, obviously not much we could have done. It was already pretty advanced, but uh, the medication for the schizophrenia seemed to help a lot. And it just sucks that we didn't catch it sooner, obviously much, much sooner. But, um, you know, we all, it, it's weird. I mean, I joke about this on stage, darkly, about how she was a, she's a Filipino woman. And, um, you know, she was quirky. She, had, she, she would claim to see ghosts. She would claim to talk to Jesus and things like that. And we just, we just kind of thought that, you know, she's okay. She's a weird little Asian woman and we were just being ignorant southerners i guess i don't know i mean it it didn't it did come as a surprise but also it didn't like we knew that there were issues but we didn't know that it was schizophrenia and then i had read years later after she passed that the manifestation for schizophrenics vary by culture um because it depends on how accepting the culture is of you know, visions of, of things that aren't there. And in America, you know, you have visions of things that aren't there. And then, you know, you become paranoid because 
America's a paranoid place. But in the Philippines, that sort of thing was a bit more tolerated in the culture. It was a bit, you know, visionary behavior was a bit, you know, they're very, they're very old school Catholic. So there was, you know, there's a history of people having visions of, of Jesus and, you know, the, you know, the Virgin and all that. So the fact that she was having visions was something that we had known, we had seen, we had heard, and it was, she was always like, yeah, this is how it's always been. And, you know, we just kind of accepted that's how she was um, because she seemed to do okay with it. She wasn't like, I, 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 it's hard to say because she was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and obviously in the final years of her life before, shortly before she was diagnosed with cancer, she did become progressively more paranoid and more fearful of things after my father died. But prior to that, her, her schizophrenic sort of, you know, fabulism, if you want to put it that way, didn't really seem to bother her. She was, she liked, you know, the things that she saw that weren't there. She seemed to be okay with it. And she, and she downplayed it. And we were kids, so we didn't really know any better. And then we became adults and we kind of thought something was up, but you know, who knows? I, obviously you have hindsight and you're like, we should have done something and we probably should have done something. I, you know, I have a lot of regret over that. I wish we'd gotten into treatment sooner, but, um, but we didn't. And there's not much we can do about that. Now to, in a roundabout way to go back to your original question about my older brother, we believed he uh, was exp was showing signs of that. Now, again, I don't like to diagnose people because I'm not a clinician, and he's never been diagnosed one way or another. He was he was showing paranoid behavior years ago, but it hasn't. I haven't heard anything about it since then, and honestly, we've lost touch. Uh, since I transitioned, I've lost touch with most of my family. They don't they're not necessarily disapproving but they don't have any particular hurry to talk to me about my life they they i think we're just content to ignore each other at this point so with your when did you transition oh see if there's anything i ask that you don't want to talk about just oh of course no i'm totally open uh, about five years ago i transitioned so you were diagnosed with ocd and bipolar pre-transition yes correct um so I was like yeah. so I was diagnosed with OCD um I want to say in 2011 or so 2010 and then 2011 that's freaky sorry okay there you go it was when I was living in Los Angeles uh the last time uh I lived in LA from 2007 to 2011 uh now I'm there I'm I've been back since 2019 so there was an eight-year gap uh, for me in LA, but this was pre-transition and I was diagnosed um, with um, OCD then. And I don't disagree with that. I mean, if you look around where I live, this is a pretty organized place and I take a lot of like care and I get, I'm very particular about how I want things to be. And I, and I do a lot of like legwork now, is it OCPD where I, I'm, you know, unable to function without a, a series of rituals? No, I don't think so. Uh, and that's not what I was diagnosed with. I was diagnosed with, you know, just the obsessive compulsive disorder. And, um, and it's fairly manageable. 
Now the, the bipolar diagnosis came years later. Um, that was probably 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. And that came during a very uh, rough part of my life. And um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I talked about this on Tristan's podcast a, a lot um, about how my family kind of raised me to be low key because my, my mother and father were both very dramatic people and I was often thrust into the peacekeeper role. And I didn't really, I didn't really exhibit traditional sort of bipolar behavior because I was, I had to be the rational one all the time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize, you know, sort of behind the scenes, I was doing all of these things that, you know, I had these wild spending habits and I would, you know, I would go a long time without sleeping and I would, I'd make per- decisions in my personal life that weren't really well considered. And, um, but it was very low key. Now in the past couple of years, there's been a, a since I talked to Tristan, there's been a there's been a lot of, um, I moved to LA and, and there's been a lot of like calming since then. I, I reconnected with parts of my life that I thought I didn't have, you know, any claim to before I transitioned. So now I'm, I'm back where I started from as a new person. And I haven't had, other than being a horrible um horribly irresponsible when it comes to my spending, which I've always been. I haven't had, you know, a, a, a manic episode in quite a while. So uh, if the, if the manic, you know, if the bipolar stuff is accurate and I have my questions about the environment to which that, that, um, the diagnosis came out of, I, I think it may not be accurate. Um, or at least not in the way that it was diagnosed, it was described to me at the time. Um, I think there were other things going on during that time that exacerbated my behavior that aren't present now. There was a there was a it was a really emotionally difficult time outside of myself, outside of you know what I was doing. So I don't know how much of that was a was a reaction to a horrible environment as it was you know my own brain chemistry, but I have found that by living honestly now and by no longer trying to just throw everything away. If you, you know, you listen to, you know, guys, we fucked, you listen to some of the other podcasts. These are two and three, four years ago. So there's been some changes since then. And I, I've kind of come to terms with a lot of the things that I talked about on those podcasts. And so they're, the story may change slightly, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I, I think that I think that I'm doing a lot better now. I think I'm doing a lot better now that I've I've sort of um, I sort of brought my life back to my life. I guess is what you're saying. I guess I, I could say like I'm not really running away. I'm not trying to fully reinvent myself anymore. Like I've I've it's reconnected like- with people in my old life, and I've gotten to the things that I love to begin with and I'm back in the city that you know I felt the most at home in so yeah I think things are I think things are better amazing no um pandemic notwithstanding a lot here is too and you know we're we're kind of sort of you know waiting to see if 
things are going to lock back down again. America is a, is a, is a country that could use a lot of mental health care. Um, we, we have, we yeah, have years there. You're like our little cousin that just had a really rough few years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, you know, we, we, we have a certain contingent in this country that just refuses to do things correctly out of stubbornness and it's making things bad for everybody else too. If it were just a matter of people not getting vaccinated and they, they you know, only affect themselves, it'd be a different story. But, you know, it's the whole world at stake here. And um, that's what we're waiting on in LA. We're waiting on just in case that there's a, you know, a, a, we're, we're doing pretty well here Good. because, you know, we're not silly here in that way. We are very silly in other ways, but we're not silly in that way. And um, yeah, we're trying to get back to our lives. Do you, um, so this could be really wrong, but mm -hmm. your, your sibling transitioned as well. Yeah, yeah, my little, my little brother transitioned uh, at the same time that I did. We were both living in New York. And um, at the time, he's now married living in Vermont, I'm back in LA, but at the time we were both living in Brooklyn. And um, can, he came out to me as, as a trans male. And I kind of knew because he was always a little, you know, mask, but, um, but I was planning on coming out to him and he kind of beat me to it. And I had to wait a couple of weeks while he sort of like, you know, dealt with the relief of telling me, I was like, I couldn't, I can't just, I can't, I can't steal I can't you. Just, I can't just steal your thunder, by the way. And like, so I had to wait a couple more weeks. And then I had to tell him and it was very, it was very difficult to do because I'm the older sibling and it's hard to be vulnerable when you're, you know, the one that has traditionally been the caretaker. It's hard to tell someone that, you know, that has looked up to you for guidance that you are a person that needs guidance. You're a person that, you know, has issues and you want to change the way you live because you're not happy. That's hard to do when you feel like you're the one that needs to, you know, be the role model. Especially a little dude like him. Like he was my, he was basically, he was closest in, he was the closer one in age to me. Um, he was 11 when I was born. So I was, you know, I was very, I was very excited. You know, I wasn't, I was old enough not to be jealous of the baby. And like I said, I was, I was you know, he, he was my little dude. I was happy to, you know, have a, have a little dude around to like, you know, take care of and to tell him you know, now that we're well into adulthood, that by the way, the person you thought you knew is not the person that you actually know. And of course he was cool with it. I mean, obviously he's gonna be cool with it. He's <laughs> yeah. most cool with like, it. seriously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I had no reason to be afraid, but it, even when you have no reason to be afraid, you can still be afraid. Did it help that you were both going through it together, that you kind of had each other? Yeah, it did. Um, it did, and, and it, I'll tell you what it is, it, it, it did, and it, but it wasn't so, it wasn't so ABC about it, it wasn't, you know, people will often make that assumption, and I'm not, this is by no means a criticism, because everyone does no, this. like, I, uh, I want to know about as much as you will share. Like, yeah, so everyone's like, oh, you guys went through this together, you guys. You know, I had each other to rely on to talk to, and we did, but also that wasn't really what we did. All we really did was just 
hang out and just joke to each other. And that was all we really needed. I mean, we were, we were, we were in a supportive place. We had a network of supportive people and what we thought was a big deal for the both of us turned out to be not such a big deal. Now, that doesn't mean that's not the same thing for everybody. Every trans person is, is unique and everyone who's ever had to come out and transition has either had a, an okay time or a hard time or whatever time they had. We just both happened to have a pretty good time doing it because you know we had set ourselves up quite nicely with jobs that understood with a community already sort of baked into that kind of mindset. We didn't have to deal with you know ignorance and prejudice and things like that. So we, we set ourselves up because we're both very careful people. And, um, and that's, not that's not what most trans people go through. Carson and I went through a very, very almost blissful transition. So we didn't have to help each other through it because there wasn't a lot to help each other through. We just, we just had someone who understood the absurdity of it and we could joke to each other about it which is basically all we did our entire lives together anyway when we were living with our parents we just joked with each other about how absurd our parents are and then we just took that experience and just made it into about how absurd the experience of gender in america is and how all of that is just absurd in its own way it's like you're a comedian or something yeah, I kind of like that. And I eventually, you know, started doing comedy, like right after I transitioned. I was like, yay. Was that kind of like you finally were you and you could do comedy and it was something that you wanted to do or? Well, no, I'd always thought about it. Like I'd been a writer for a long time um, since I was in like grade school. Obviously not professionally, but you know, I'd always wanted to write and I'd always been pretty funny. I was like the class clown. I was like the nerdy class clown. I wasn't the goofy, you know, cool guy class clown. I was the dork. And um, the funny dork, That's what. That's that was my function. And um, so I knew I was funny and I wrote, uh, I wrote um, for the movies. I tried to anyway, I wrote a couple of movies that got made uh, years ago and have, you know, since gone out of print. They were very small and didn't make a lot of money, but, and they were funny. They were both comedies. So I, I knew that I could write funny, um, but I had no particular interest in performing, even though people would say, oh God, you're so funny. You should go, you should be a comedian. I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be on stage. I don't, I don't feel comfortable in front of people. And then all of a sudden, you know, I transition and I go through a year of, of, you know, the sort of like, getting used to everything and lining up all of my little legal things and doing, you know, coming out to various people and coming out at work and doing all these other things. And then um, after I finished that process, I wanted to get back to being creative. And then I was like, but I spent so much time just, you know, behind the computer, I spent so much time not being seen that I wanted to do things a little differently and I didn't want to spend, you know, a year, two years working on something and have no one see it. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to try stand-up comedy just to see, just because I have a lot of, you know, stuff I think is funny. And I want to see if other people think it's funny just to test it out. And mostly, mostly um, I just wanted to make other friends other than trans people. You know, you, you transition and you, you sort of naturally get attracted to people who are going through the same stuff. So like I was transitioning at the same time 
you know, five or six other women were transitioning, but we didn't have anything in common other than that. And yeah. they're great people. I love them, but we didn't have a lot. We were, you know, our ages were, were wildly different. I, I was much younger than most of them. Um, our, our, like, you know, the way our, our lifestyle was, you know, I, especially when I first transitioned, I was, I was very you know, like sexual and very free and doing all kinds of crazy things. Um, and, you know, I didn't have that in common with them. So I wanted to find, you know, women, especially trans or otherwise, that were living lives that were similar to mine. I was like, you know, stand-up comics, they kind of, they get me, I get them. I know what they're all about. They're all about, you know, living their lives and trying to find the humor. And that's what I've been doing my entire life since I was a kid. My entire life I've been, you know, making fun of my parents. And then I made fun of, you know, gender. And that's all I've been doing to cope with how difficult things can be is just by using humor. So I was like, I should find other funny ladies, especially women, but you know, men too. And you know, plenty of non-binary. I don't want to get, you know, you know, into the whole pronoun debate. But like I I want to be around funny people. I want to be around people that, you know, got me, not necessarily as a trans person, but as a person who uses humor to navigate the world. And that's what I did. And so, yeah, I got into comedy to make friends, which is the weirdest motivation of all because comedy is a notoriously unfriendly business. <laughs> like people are gross in comedy and it's competitive and there's just a lot of like toxicity going on, but you know, I did it to make friends and I got pretty good at it. So here you go. Okay, you're quite good. <laughs> so do you think that your mental health got better since you transitioned? As oh in, yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, you, yeah. Go ahead. When Sorry. did you, when did you know, like when you, when did you know you wanted to transition? Was it something from a young age? Um, something from a young age. Yeah. Once I figured out what it, I mean, I didn't even know what it was. I was maybe 11, 10, 11 years old, right around the same time that my father uh, had attempted suicide. It was a little bit after. Um, I remember, you know, the summer where all that sort of stuff came out, uh, came up and I didn't quite know what to make of it but it just felt like I felt much more comfortable around women I felt much more comfortable you know identifying with female experiences I would see women in pop culture and movies music videos and like I would I would just want to hang out with them not I wouldn't you know it's like a uh, you know a bunch of hot ladies on like a music video right and like all my little friends are like, oh my God, oh, oh, she's so hot. And I'm like, you know, she looks like a nice person. We should be friends. <laughs> yeah, like she looks, she looks like she knows how to have a good time. I'll bet she's really funny. I'll bet that, I bet that she's, you know, thinks, you know, these, these rock stars and these rap stars are, are douchebags. And I'll bet she'd be a really cool hang. We should, we should get, we should be friends. So that's what I was thinking during that whole time. I just, you know, I see, I see women, and, you know, on the one hand, I would, you know, maybe be attracted to some degree, but, you know, mostly I just wanted to like hang out and be their friends and like, and it wasn't, and it wasn't, it's very similar to what a lot of like gay men say when they're growing up, they just want to be friends with like the women around them. And like, yes, that there is a lot of overlap in those experiences, but it was more, it was more socialized and not so much sexualized. Like it was just more about just 
you know, sharing like a, a bond with them. So yeah, I would see women in, in the culture. I'd see women around me. I'd see the, you know, the girls I was growing up with. And I just wanted to like have them in my lives as, as, you know, people to like hang out with. And that was what I felt my entire life and up until I transitioned. And it was so, it was so like depressing. And I was very depressed. And this is what I meant earlier when like, I'm kind of reevaluating my, my, um, my mental history and, you know, some of the diagnoses that I had because I wasn't diagnosed and I didn't talk about trans stuff for the most part with these therapists during that time. A couple of them, yes. And the ones that I did talk about accounted for it. And the ones that I didn't because I was too closeted to even discuss it, didn't. And so I think that I think that my mental health diagnoses and some of the things I got during that time period were inaccurate because I wasn't honest with the people that I was talking to. I, I didn't, I couldn't talk, I couldn't tell them because I couldn't even say it out loud. So of course they couldn't give me an accurate diagnosis if they didn't have all the information. They're not psychics. They can't just intuit that I'm, I'm trans if I don't tell them, if I don't give them any sort of in, you know, indication that I am. If they don't know what to ask, then they don't. How did puberty affect your mental health in a negative way? Um, well, I think it affects everybody's mental health in a negative way. Yeah, I was super true. happy as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing awesome back then. <laughs> no, and this is the thing. Like, it's tough because my experience growing up, my experience being a closeted trans person was sort of low-key okay. And I think that delayed my transition a lot. I think that delays the transition of a lot of people who, who transition later in life because I wasn't so alienated from myself that I, that I wanted to kill myself. I didn't, I didn't look at my body and like in the cliche way that we see in like movies where I feel like, oh, I got, I got to destroy myself. Oh, I'm so upset that I'm in this body that isn't familiar to me. Ugh. It wasn't like that. It was like, I would prefer things to be different, but I know life is going to be very fucking difficult if I do that. So I would tell myself all these stories, like I could, I can handle this. I'd rather be low key miserable as, you know, living in this body that doesn't make sense to me than going through an experience that is frightening in America and that is frightening in the world. And that's what kept me in the closet was that, you know, in my head, the, the calculus was that it was easier just to be miserable in your body than it was to be miserable in the world and have, you know, people harassing you and things like that. But then weirdly things started to chill out in the 2010s. And I was aware of that. I was like, things are changing. And you know, if I transitioned, you know, in whatever, in the late 90s or whenever, I probably would have been okay. I probably would have been fine. I, I wouldn't have had access to the amazing healthcare that I have. I'm in like my, my community would have been a lot more insular and I probably wouldn't have like as active as a social life in like in a, in a mainstream way. Like, I go out and I, I do all kinds of like lady stuff now. I, I'll, I'll go out and, you know, it's totally fine. And it's not about how well I pass, which from what I'm told, I do pretty well. But um, it's, not, it's not even the right words, pass. What, what, what an old 
ass word that is. Like, who cares? At least not in, not in Los Angeles, not in, not in, you know, cities where it matters, um, where like your expression matters. Now, there are a lot of places in America and a lot of places in the world where they're not as evolved on this question. And I do feel more defensive and I do feel like I need to kind of cover up and, you know, try to blend in. So it's not at all perfect. But again, I've, like I said, with Carson and I, we, we built ourselves lives that were supportive of our choices and we've enjoyed the freedom for it. And I feel bad for other trans people if they're living in places that don't, that don't have that, you know, they don't make that allowance or if they're living in bodies that, you know, are, aren't as aligned with people's expectations. Because even now you still, I mean, I'm five nine. I'm 150 pounds. I'm pretty feminine looking, and it doesn't. It's not as much of a of a thing for people just to ignore me, walking by, and just let me live my life than it would be for someone who's not in that body. There are a lot of people out there that feel the need to be, you know, stupid still, even here. I do find um, so. My my husband had a bit of a a nosy, and. Mm-hmm. He- still swears blind about your um pre-transition photo that's um out and then uh you on your bed and he's like that's not the same person and and I was like but it is and um you said before so that you haven't done anything to your face and I don't think you have from like just you know when you like stare not that not that I'm ever gonna like hold it up there and be like yeah but um you you said as well, you get treated more like a, a white female rather than... Yeah, an- yeah. yeah, that happens. I mean, it, 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 it is, it, it is a, an integral part of my comedy to sort of make that joke. Like that's a very, that's a very, very, um, very internet famous joke of mine. I get a lot of mileage out of it, but um, being half Filipino and growing up, uh, especially in the South where I grew up, you know, you were sort of picked out for being different. And I, people would, you know, they would point at me and, you know, call me all kinds of like nasty, you know, Asian slurs. Didn't matter if they were accurate. I heard them all. Whatever Asian slur they had, I heard it. But they made me, they made sure that I was aware of how different I was. And, you know, they would say other things about how they perceive my sexuality and stuff that, you know, they would, they would call me all kinds of names. And some of those, some of those things were accurate. Some of them weren't, but um, in the sense that you know they were they were they were catching on something that I didn't catch on to at the time. Yeah. Um, but then I transitioned, and like no one recognizes me as a half Asian person. They just I'm just a white lady now. It's it's a weird experience. Like half my half my history was erased. You know, I was raised by a Filipino woman. I ate Filipino food. I was raised in a very, you know, Catholic family. We, we, we lived, we lived in the Philippines for a year. So, you know, I, it was, it was a very, it was, you know, it was very much, you know, a, a child, I was very much a child of, you know, an immigrant. And then, you know, people don't see that anymore. They don't, they don't recognize it. They just, they just throw it away. Yeah. They just, now I'm just some, some white lady. And it's weird because that's what I kind of gave up in transition that I, I, you know, I corrected how my gender was perceived and then people 
made other assumptions about my cultural identity, about where, you know, where I'm from. And now that's been erased, weirdly. So yeah, you can't win. What are you gonna do? So why Gina? Um, my mother, my mother name. To choose your own name, which is beautiful. Well, um, in keeping with the, the, the tradition of trans people, um, if you don't pick an obscure name, then you pick a very common name and you just spell it really stupidly. That's what we do. <laughs> we, we, either, we either pick some, some obscure name from the 19th century, like Beauregard, or you know, we pick some normal name like Gina and then we spell it with a J and two E's to, to confuse everybody. That's what we do. We're, we're fun like that. Um, I kept it, my mother named all of her kids J names. And even though my older brother, my younger brother rather, he, he changed his name to Carson. He was born with a J name. And, and even though he had changed the first letter of his name, I felt that I wanted to keep that tradition of my mom's alive. So I kept the J name and I just sort of researched J names. And the problem with having so many siblings, I didn't want to pick a name that was too close to anyone else's name. So all these names couldn't go because it was like, Nah, it sounds like my sister can't do that. Um, so I ended up, you know, par- you know, narrowing it down, and then Gina just sort of came out. J two E's, like that's that's cool, and that's about it. I mean, that's what you do. I mean, we, my friend Monica and I, we just we just tossed around names for you know a few days, and then we settled on it. And it was kind of arbitrary. I'm like, yeah, that's going to be my name for the rest of my life now, <laughs> and it has been. And it was like. It was such a, it was such an almost impulsive decision because it's just a word. It's just a word people use to, you know, get you to listen to them. So sure. you know, they you know, they're talking to you. That's it. Yeah. It's just a sound. I've, I've, so I don't even know what to ask you because you, you're so eloquent when you speak, you've kind of covered everything, but. I tend to, I, I tend to talk a lot. Yeah, that's. I, you, you've heard me on a few podcasts since you've done your research. I hope this isn't, I hope this isn't out of your expectation, but I do tend, people ask me a question, I do tend to give like seven minute answers. That's mm-hmm. how I am. And that's like, that's the whole reason, you know, you speak about your experience and you're like, this is it. This is me. Like it or leave it. And that's, that's what makes you so unique with it because you know, there are lots of people who sometimes I, I, well, I, as a, what was it, like a, a cis female, like they just, the perception of trans sometimes is Caitlyn Jenner. And right. that's like the only, the only thing that's a lot of people will be exposed to. And it's not all drama and, and Kardashians. <laughs> yeah 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 you were a normal in inverted commas whatever normal is right working person not in the public eye and you went through this transition and and you you talk about it to make a difference whether you know whether you mean to be doing it to to make a difference and Uh make a change you do and that's really really important because there are going to be a lot of people who might listen who are struggling with their identity and it's something that is coming up more and more because yeah. the 
willing to talk about it a bit more and you know I how old am I I'm 38 and I still like I my my son asked me the other day what's gender and I was like where do we start do you feel has Caitlyn Jenner done good things or bad things oh she sucks she sucks I mean she she sucks she was on completely compromised whatever credibility she has in the trans community she's running for governor of California she's never she's not gonna come anywhere close to it as a Republican, she's not going to come anywhere close to winning. So it's a, it's a quixotic adventure, regardless. It's not going to happen. But she she's come out and said things about how, you know, we need to make sure trans people are really trans, and we need to, you know, we can't have trans girls playing sports and things like that. Things that are really intolerant that wouldn't fly out of a cis person. She's insane because she wants to court votes with Republicans. Mm-hmm. Or maybe she really believes that, and she's just a horrible person on top of everything else, which also wouldn't surprise me either. The the nicest version of that is still extraordinarily shitty. So, you know, fuck her. I don't you know. It's a you really know. weird thing that somebody who went through through all of that and in so much in the public eye and got so much shit and you know you're doing this for a show and stuff like that that all of a sudden comes out against certain things yeah you know because caitlin's got money and money is the in america and probably most places in the world money is the real equalizer money is the thing beyond anything else and it's horrible it really is i i i feel not not an insignificant amount of guilt because i in addition to being a comedian i'm also a very comfortably paid technical person and I work in an industry that is already accepting because people have traditionally been accepting of things like that because it's in this industry it's about the work not so much about you know how you show up because people dress in all kinds of different ways in the tech business so I'm very comfortable and I've been very comfortable for a long time and I you know I've I'm able to kind of like buy my way out of trouble. And so Caitlin is just me, just writ much, much larger. She's so well to do. She's so like capital R rich that she doesn't understand how people that don't live her life live. She just, she has no capability of being empathetic with someone who, who doesn't have, he even went through the most public difficult thing and took all the amount of shit, and I and I and I give her, you know, props for it for coming out late in life. Give me, it's difficult, it's hard to do, but she got the best medical care money can buy. She got all the support. She was on the cover of Time magazine. She won awards. She got the level of support that no trans person would ever have, ever. She got it because she was already rich. She was already famous. She was already white. She was already every other thing that is, that is, what you need to get ahead in in America and in the world. She was already every other thing that you needed. She just had the one thing that could have set her back, and you know the money and everything else was sort of compensated for it. And she doesn't seem to get that. She doesn't seem to get that. You know, she has privilege because she's got a lot of money, and you know I do understand that I have a certain I don't have a lot of money, but I don't starve. I can, I have good health care. I can move 
into the neighborhood where I feel safe. I can live alone and transition for a year and figure out my stuff in privacy, which is what I did in 2015, because I could afford to. And I could, you know, I can go out and even though I haven't done facial feminization, I've done a million other things I've had to pay for. I had my voice changed. And what you're hearing is is a voice that's sort of in transition on its on its own because I had I had my my vocal cords shrunk. Wow. You can do that now. You can like because I had this very deep masculine voice. And you know, a few months ago they shrunk my vocal cords, they they lasered them to be smaller. And so this like breathy kind of weak voice you're hearing right now is, is the result of that. And, you know, in another six months, I'll sound completely different. Wow. And I don't get misgendered on the phone or in the drive through line. I can go up and talk to people in, you know, in just a casual voice. And I don't have to adjust my tone or anything like that and get misgendered or, or any of that stuff because I could afford to. And that sucks because... It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't just be because I have a good job that I can do all these things. I'm no better of a person because I because I work in tech versus people who have to struggle for their money. I'm no better of a person than, than any other trans woman that, or trans man or, or non-binary person or any other person that struggles with their identity or struggles with how they're perceived and how they're treated by other people. I'm no... I'm no different than those people other than the fact that I have been able to afford to buy better treatment. That sucks. Yeah. Do you think that the, so when you transitioned, there was a lot of therapy you've said previously. Yeah, there was therapy. Yeah. I mean, I had to. It helps um, people that are transitioning with their mental health because um, this could be the most naive question you've ever heard and you know tell me to get lost but is there a higher from my research I think there is but I'm not going to ever claim that I know um, a higher rate of mental health issues yeah there is there is it really is and I, I you know it's like chicken and egg stuff right there's a higher rate of mental health higher rate of suicide in, in the trans community especially among trans women and um and they're very aware of that when I was transitioning. They were very, you know, they were, they were making sure that I had all of the stuff that I needed for support. And I found that I needed a lot less than uh, I was expecting. Um, but it, you know, it's, a, it's like I said, it's a chicken egg thing. Why, why is it because we're trans? No, it's because the world is difficult. The world is, is you know, is unforgiving for, let's say you're a trans woman of color and you don't have a good job and you don't have regular health insurance and maybe you're unhoused well yeah you're going to be under a lot of pressure and maybe and maybe you need help maybe you've maybe you've turned to substances to to deal with things and now you have addiction issues that sort of thing that's why we have a higher incidence of of mental health issues isn't because trans is something you know that is comorbid of that yeah it's because it's a difficult life it can be a difficult life mm-hmm. and people who have difficult lives cope in ways that aren't always healthy it just it sucks the lack of support and yeah that that people have in in general let alone mm-hmm. when you know going through 
the transition of the the hormones I mean god my hormones are bad enough heaven forbid yeah I mean it was a little weird it was it was difficult and like but like it it's I I hesitate to talk about this stuff sometimes because I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to seem like I'm 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 like downplaying the bravery that a lot of trans people go through it's a usually difficult thing to do i waited a long time to get the courage to do it but once i did i was just i went from like strength to strength so many people came out and were supportive and the very few people that weren't got put in their place by people that were because i because i was in a place where people were cool with that sort of thing. They wanted to help. They wanted to, they wanted to be around me. My, my social stock went up. I, you know, I became very popular. I started dating a lot. I had this great life. I was getting invited to parties. I it was, I've appeared in, you know, New York magazine. I no one asked me to do that. I've, I modeled for, you know, the guy who photographed Kurt Cobain's, you know, last picture. Like I've done all kinds of things that I wouldn't, have been able to do had I not transitioned and I am just lucky that's all it comes down to I'm just lucky that I was in the right place at the right time to be the person that that benefited to the degree that I have from transitioning not everyone can do that not everyone has been able to do that and you know trans women before me have paid with their lives to lead the life that I have now yeah definitely I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Gina. For more information and where you can watch her comedy, go to at Gina Bloom. That's at J-E-E-N-A-B-L-O-O-M. And as usual for us, go to our website, www.mydiscombobulatedbrain.com and leave any comments or questions you want us to address via the contact page. <laughs>